Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Zewatanejo. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you, and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and Merry Christmas to you. Welcome to The Fear of God. Your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, Santa's favorite podcast. Uh, Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me is my own little elf on the shelf, Reed Lackey. He was here a minute ago, but if I gotta be honest, he got a little snooty and asked me if I was being obtuse, and so I showed him the door to solitary for two months not two months he'll be back in about two minutes but you best not be calling me obtuse lest you get solitary in the meantime while we wait on him to return from his exile subscribe write a rating i'm sorry leave a rating write a review you know do whatever you want uh in that fashion subscribe to the podcast on itunes We also would love it if you would come join us on the Facebook group. Um, There's some really good conversations that happen there. Um, It's a really great way to just connect. Honestly, it's one of the favorite things I get to do. And I think Reed would probably echo this as sort of uh, a host of the show is watching you guys connect and exchange ideas and thoughts and talk about various films and whatnot. Come join the Facebook group. Be a part of that. In addition to that, go to tpublic.com. Type out The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. Buy yourself a Jacob Hunt emblazoned piece of Fear of God art merchandise. That's a a mouthful right there. Uh, You can get a t-shirt. You can get a pillow. A pillow with mine and Reed's face on it. You know, know, that's kind of cool, kind of weird, a little bit of both. Um, Get a cell phone case. You know, get some magnets. Get yourself a Reed. 
Hey, buddy. <laughs> you're back. Hey, man. You're, you're back. Hey, man. I am. I am. Oh, Merry Christmas, buddy. How you doing? Woo. You know, I don't even have a I don't even have a pithy thing because I'm just so filled with the holiday good. spirit that you know. I mean, this here it is. I can't remember the last time that we had an episode drop. Well, actually, it might have been last year. Now that I think about it, um, but no, I mean, like this this is Christmas Eve. If you're listening to this day and date, this is our Christmas Eve episode, and uh, I am I am so filled with the holiday spirit. I wasn't at the onset of the holiday uh, this year, but uh, but now I am. Uh, and, and honestly, I have this, uh, you know, depression era prison movie to thank for, uh, getting me into, <laughs> into the holiday spirit. Um, uh, but no, seriously, are how are, how are your holidays going? Well, at this immediate moment, <laughs> I am one night away from opening my Christmas play. So, um, Ooh. I am a little, Ooh. I'm a little stressed. But <laughs> okay, but um, the thing that happens inevitably and always happens every year, and this is the fourteenth year of the show, is I sometimes feel like um, you know that image in the Doctor Sleep trailer of Ewan McGregor on the floor and the room kind of turns oh, and the camera yes. turns, he's sliding down. Like that is how my year can feel when it comes to producing the show. I'm just sort of sliding towards this inevitability. Um, <laughs> and on the one hand, I embrace it and welcome it. On the other hand, I just resent it and loathe it. Not because uh. the work isn't worthy, but just because the amount of work it does invite the, my tendency to procrastinate and be like, you know what? I need to buy my spouse some Christmas gifts. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, but who's wow. got the brain space for that? Not me right now. So I get it. I get um, it. So no, uh, by the time this releases though, I will have performed the show because what does as the, in, the inevitability of those things I described is always sort of pivoted uh, into, into just kind of a purity of, mm, of, mm, mm-hmm of sensation and of feeling and of apprehension of apprehension. That doesn't mean that can just mean to apprehend a thing, right? Not like I'm afraid of a thing, right? I would think so. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. apprehension, I think I'm using that correctly of what I feel is most valuable in this season of the year. And so it, you're, you're just catching me. It's like, it's like you're catching me on Christmas Eve. The waiting is here. Tomorrow, <laughs> right, right. You are you, my friend, are catching me on my version of Christmas Eve while we are talking to people on their version of Christmas Eve. It's a little weird how this thing works. Wow, it's, it's like so Jeremy bear me. It is. It is. Yes. yes so yeah, it really is. It's good. It's good. Awesome. Awesome. I um. So I have to make a one little passing comment about the holiday uh, season this time. Uh, and this year I did a small little mini movie challenge for myself. Okay. Um, I wanted to, because I've seen a tremendous amount of Christmas films, but I wanted to specifically catch some Christmas films that I had never seen. So I made my way through, like, I started, I was like, you know what would be kind of a fun challenge? I will do one film I have never seen from each of the decades, like starting at the 1900s and then move all the way into the 1910s and I'll do, or the 2010s. Uh, and I will do one film from each decade that I've never seen. Now, I, I, I've, I've seen a lot, particularly from like the 60s, some of the classic Christmas movies that make their way through. Um, but I have uh, three genuine, like, 
strong recommendations that I want to just toss out for people looking for something a little off the beaten path on their Christmas Eve. Okay. I'm going to mention this like very briefly because um, I don't want to like get, bog us down too much. But I'm going to mention uh, a film called The Great Rupert that as of right now is on Amazon Prime. It is a delightful little story about an impoverished family that uh, rent a small apartment and they they are really like on their last dime. And they have this sort of money-grubbing landlord who has rented them their uh, apartment, and they're trying to hide the fact that they're just completely broke from him. And there is this, there is this trained squirrel that uh, is living in the walls. I don't want to say too much more except the fact that it is one of the most purely delightful pieces of filmmaking that I've seen huh. in a long time. It'll warm your heart. It is cutesy. It is holiday-themed. Um, it is uh, very, very sort of like inspiring in a way. It's kind of funny. Um, it's cute. It's old. I love it. Um, something that's a little bit heavier, uh, but from the same era, is a film called The Holly and the Ivy. Mm-hmm. The premise of that is that there's a preacher whose family is all coming home from Christmas. They are all for Christmas. They are all dealing with personal issues that they are scared to talk about to him because he is a minister. You can imagine why I, you know, connected very strongly to a lot of what's going on there, and it is, uh, it is quite strong. It is really, it has some great things to say about the role of faith in relationships and uh, some of the stigmas that uh, attach to both sides of it. And I, I loved it. It's a much more dramatic piece, um, but I loved it. My final recommendation which is the one that comes with the heaviest weight of recommendation, is look up on YouTube from 1969 a 45-minute film called JT. It was a program uh, made for television for the Children's Hour about a young kid the, the in initials, Harlem. The initials JT? The or initials JT. Okay. Yeah, J period, T period. And I had to search J period, T period, 1969 for it to come up but it is available on youtube and not available anywhere else it is not available on dvd it is not available on the mainstream platforms it is uploaded to youtube but this is a film about a little harlem kid at christmas time who is struggling everywhere in his life and he befriends this little cat and like nurses this blind alley cat back to health um dude i have this was geared towards children i have not seen like a more emotionally gripping (laughs) 45 minute thing like it was powerful what? and impactful and Nathan you have got to see this 45 minute thing it will tell me the plot again re- so he is a little kid in Harlem uh-huh. at Christmas time and amidst all of his little like trying to duck and dodge bullies and trying to make it to school on time and trying to do right by his poor mother mm-hmm. um, his father's not in the picture he uh, stumbles into this like abandoned building and befriends this little blind alley cat who is helpless and and doesn't know what to do, and he nurses it back to health. Um, But in the process of that, there is a tremendous weight of emotion. It is... It is pretty heavy hitting in places like you might you might cry. Um, And and it is really, really substantial, particularly in one moment where his grandmother has a conversation with him about hopes and fears from a child looking forward in the future. Mm -hmm. Dude, I cannot believe more people don't talk about this little piece like it is mostly forgotten and needs to be talked about. So I'm mentioning it and talking about it right here. Uh, I know we're not doing a formal what you watch and I backdoored you and I apologize for that. But man, JT on YouTube, it's 45 minutes of your time. Seek it out. It's essential. It's it's going to do some great things for your heart. Technically, it's, on Christmas technically it's 49 minutes. I just found it. But okay. uh, Yes, it is 49 minutes. I, so, I know, but make make that time 
to watch that piece. It is it is emotional. It is very emotional, but I think you're going to be very uh, hmm. touched by it. So uh, so yes yes, uh, seek that out. Very cool. So so yeah, um, that's uh, that's our uh, this fog getting into the Christmas spirit. Um, this is uh, sort of our last formal episode for the year. We've got something special cooked up for you next week. Uh, but then we're headed into 2020, man. This Goodness is crazy. Gracious. The new year is like upon us. Uh, this is this is really going to be a wild ride. Um, and as listeners may have seen on the T Public site, there is uh, this wonderful new icon that we pitched pretty heavily of uh, our campaign uh, yeah. platform yeah, where we are we're running, man. Uh, we're Get lobbying we're running, for your votes, man. We are running. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was great. We got uh, the endorsement of the governor. <laughs> so um, what uh, what we're kind of doing, and we're going to flesh this out uh, and announce it to you more formally over social media, um, but we're kind of doing some fun things in 2020. Specifically, um, I got really enamored not too long ago with just the fact that it was 2020 and like all the ways you could just use 2020 in fancy numbers. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to kind of be making our way through, because we've done some hashtag I love the 70s, I love the 80s, I love the 90s, but we haven't done anything for the I love the aughts yet. Um, and I wanted to do something kind of different for that. So be looking for some more specific details after the top of the year. But what we're going to be doing, rather than like a month-long I love the aughts or anything, is we're going to be doing 20 in 2020 and we're going to be counting down like your favorite films from each year starting in 2000 making it all the way up probably closing the year with your favorite films of 2020 right up top we're probably going to start with a conversation about some some of our favorite films from 2019 pivot that into kind of looking backwards through the decade um, so be looking on the social media platforms for surveys so that you can vote on your favorites. And we'll be talking about some specific episodes. I'm sure there will be debates aplenty. I mean, it's 2020. It's a debate right. year, right? This is, is an election year. Well, or, <sighs> I mean, unless we choose to sit out the debates, which some you know what? folks think they can that's, do. That's evident, evidently that's a thing now. Is it just, you can just... Do you know what's funny is all of our <laughs> listeners who bristle when I start to get a little political, but somehow are fine when you do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, they just heard that, diplomat. that right, right. They just heard that sideways comment from they, me, and they're like, mm, "I might be tuning out next year." <laughs> <laughs> That's understood. Understood. Uh, um, so yeah, so uh, we've got some fun kind of a different format for us, making our way backwards through the the years, the twenty tens, and into the two thousands. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I'm excited for what 2020 holds for us, uh, at least as far as the show is concerned. The rest of life. I ain't, I ain't sure yet, but yeah. as far as the show, I'm uh, I'm very very excited, very excited. Yes, twenty 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 twenty, as we're considering calling it. And if you have really great vision, yes, you might be experiencing twenty 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 with twenty twenty, while watching twenty twenty with Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs. <laughs> <laughs> and for the. For the rest of you, you might be just experiencing 420s, which means something entirely different than what we intend. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> but Reed, we are not at 2020-2020 yet. What we no, are, no. what we are doing, my friend, is we are finishing so much. Like 
It is mm-hmm. different. It is different mm-hmm. seasons. Now, next week is a bit special in the sense that it's not going to be just you and I. So there's some fun attached to that. Right. Right. Um, it will be our our final final nineteen. But for our purposes, me and you, that is, and the series, the overarching Stephen King series hashtag 19 in december specifically different seasons Mm, uh mm -hmm. non-horror material here we are and yeah you know i never don't trust you just so you know uh (laughs) but there are times when i don't realize that you know i'm a dummy sometimes i just i'm because i'm not nearly as like beautiful mind as you are about just a lot of things like I don't recognize the constructions you've built um, <laughs> until I'm kind of walking through them. And I'm like, damn, this is a good looking building, Reed May. <laughs> I'm glad he invited me in here. So, for instance, oh, things like not just, yes, of course, it's poetic to finish different seasons, to finish more or less 19 with Shawshank, but to release it on Christmas. Uh, yes. Had, yes. Had, uh, you know, I was not sort of in that brain space. It's funny as I, as I think through it's, I could probably really be easily taken advantage of by people. I'm glad you're a benevolent, <laughs> you're a benevolent and good friend whose interest <laughs> is only my good and not my harm because oh my I'm just like, sure, Reed, whatever you say, you know? Oh, okay. We're doing that now. Cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. Great, <laughs> right. Right. Great, great, great. Cool. Sounds great. I'm sure it's going to work out fine. Uh, wow. and it typically does. It typically does. Um, so yes, we are. Uh, on this Christmas Eve, discussing the Shawshank Redemption, and here it is. What a film! Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, do you? I know you. You had mentioned to me not doing traditional note taking like we might normally. Do you have any real specific trivial bits to address? So well, so here's what's funny. This is the 25th anniversary of. The Shawshank Redemption, which I love the fact that we're able to cover it like right on its anniversary year. But there has been so much like written about this film, discussed about this film. Like, honestly, this is one of those things where the trivial bit taking was so daunting that I didn't even know where to start with it. Sure. I mean, it is based on, I can tell a little bit of the sort of the story we had mentioned in uh, our conversation about The Woman in the Room, which was featured on last week's. <laughs> really, uh, sort of. <laughs> I mean, what you didn't do you even use? have to if say? You, it. you didn't no, even have to say. If you've it. listened, if you've listened to last week's episode, then you you know how hard oh, it is to describe goodness. that uh, conversation. But we talked about the woman in the room, and on the woman in the room, uh, that was directed by Frank Darabont. It was a short story from Night Shift that Frank Darabont directed. Now, Darabont had directed that and like nothing else. So then. He had he had continued with his writing career, written. I don't know if you'll recall this, but was a writer on Frank Darabont was a writer on Nightmare on Elm Street Three, Dream Warriors, and so that had earned him a nice little paycheck. And he either from that directly or from a culmination of that with some other things that he was working on at the time, writing wise, acquired the rights to Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which is a novella from different seasons, the same book that gave us uh, The Body, uh, which is what Stand By Me is based on. So he acquired the rights to Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. I have read 
that it was for $5,000, and I have read that it was for $1,000. The sources that I have read it was 5000 I trust a little bit more because these are from like printed inserts on the DVD. Can, and, I, can I throw uh, something you know, at you here? Sure, sure, absolutely. I pulled up IMDb right before this um, just to kind of scan it, and I won't, like you said, it's, it's you know an hour's worth of trivial bits here, but to this direct point you're trying to make, I'm staring at this right now. It says Stephen King never cashed his $1,000 check for rights mm, to the mm-hmm. film. Several years after the movie came out, King got the check framed, mailed it back to Frank Darabont with a note inscribed, in case you ever need bail money, love Steve. Which I, I love that story. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that story so much. So so the only that specific anecdote is included on the Warner Brothers Blu-ray like book model that I have uh-huh. of it. The only difference in the story is the Warner Brothers insert says it's a five thousand dollar check what? rather rather than a thousand dollar check. Yeah, fake news. I know, right? But the story Screw is identical. You, the story is all the uh, is all the same. That uh, yeah, Stephen King sent him back the check and said, uh, "Yep, in case you ever need bail money." Um, so. Darabont had written the script. He'd written the script over the course of like five years, right? And in that time frame, um, he had polished up what he thought. He thought he had something really strong. He brought it, a little bit of crossing the streams here with, with Stephen King history, he brought it to Castle Rock. And Rob Reiner was about to pay him like $2.5 million mm-hmm. to have the rights to the script and to direct it. So Rob Reiner wanted to direct this. He, he loved the script so much. And Darabont, I don't have his exact quote pulled up, but Darabont was basically like, this is one of those moments, uh, this is what Darabont's sentiment was, this is one of those moments where if I don't take the opportunity to do this myself, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Hmm. Like he had written plenty of other things that people had directed. And in fact, Darabont's got a kind of an interesting career because he has been involved. If you were to look up like his Wikipedia page, um, he has done uncredited script doctoring for an alarming number of high-profile pieces, like including Saving Private Ryan. Um, I think he had done he'd done a lot of work in like the '90s and 2000s at like just getting a paycheck and punching up the script doctoring, but not getting any credit mm-hmm. for the piece. Um, so like, if you look at his IMDB, it's, it's a bit sparse in terms of the direct things he's, you know, he's only directed three feature films or sorry, four feature films. Um, and he's directed a lot of TV, but in terms of like his direct output, it seems a bit sparse, but he has been involved in a lot of, uh, specific projects. And so one of the things that I found interesting is, um, he really honed in on Shawshank Redemption as something like, I need to direct this. I have a very clear vision for what I want to do with this, and I need to direct Shawshank Redemption. So Rob Reiner still wound up, like Castle Rock still funded this, and it wound up getting like twenty five a $25 million budget, which, you know, I don't have $25 million. Of but, course. Uh, it's, uh, but it wound up getting like a pretty sizable budget, and uh, I, th- I think it's it's really cool to hear some of the little details about how this film kind of came about and, and like the chances that people took on Darabont as a director. So <laughs> Nathan, I know you tease me about this. I know you do. And maybe all the listeners roll their eyes and everything, but listen, the reason that I have met so many celebrities, it's very, two very specific reasons is because for a year and a half, 
I worked on the Universal Studios lot for an audience, a TV audience company, like a company that provided the audience for TV shows and also worked, they provided the um, assistants who would work like award shows and stuff like that. So that's avenue number one. Avenue number two was prior to that job, I had worked at the Virgin Megastore on Sunset Boulevard, which is right in the heart of Hollywood. And so a ton of people came into the Virgin Megastore. Um, cutting to the chase... I have had like four conversations with Frank Darabont. Get, I can't believe this is happening. All in the <laughs> Reed Lackey. All but in you the know like... what? You know what, Reed? Like the Grinch. It's Christmas <laughs> and my heart is filled to burst and it's it's the it's the season of grace. Okay. And I want okay. to give you the runway you <laughs> desire because you know what? A lot of times, yeah, it, it, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Reed, we get it. You're your hot stuff. Uh, oh come on now but this oh, one's appropriate on. this one is apropos all right to the moment so well, please I, I please that. tell us your story <laughs> i don't say that derisively at all so uh it's not as as cool as my uh my frank darabont stories but i also met the warden oh, bob God. gunton <laughs> i can't believe you just did that you like <laughs> trojan horse in no we don't want to hear the darabont it's one so, one per episode read <laughs> okay it's one for so i've just got to say that the warden is much nicer in person than he is in this film but um so anyway frank darabont had come into the sunset store and so my my role when i was at virgin megastore was like i was a, a floor manager for a while and um the darabont would always coincidentally kind of come in or when he came in he came in at times when the crowd was not really there this is one of the kind of sideways perks for working at such a high profile store on sunset boulevard is when celebrities came in dependent upon their openness to to engaging with you in conversation and your general uh, politeness and civility then you could have conversations with them uh, like i have a signed copy of beetlejuice from tim burton and etc 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 but darabont had come in the first couple of times he came in I was a little fanboy to him, but he had come in on times where there wasn't a lot of other crowds, like late on a Tuesday night or like in the middle of the afternoon on a Wednesday or something. And so he'd come in. The first two times he came in, I totally fanboyed on him. Now, I did so like in a way that I would still keep my job, but I was totally like, man, I love the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, at this point, I think Green Mile had also come out. Yes, it had. So I was like, I love the Green Mile. And... I was talking to him about the, you know, how much I appreciated his work and everything. He was to me, and this is important for something I'm about to mention, Darabont has a bit of a reputation on set for being a hard-nosed kind of guy. Um, that he's the type of person that is, is not very flexible when you have creative differences, that he can be a real uh, slave driver Exhibit to his a, staff. The Walking Dead. <laughs> exactly. All of the tensions with The Walking Dead. Um, and so he has that reputation but I found him to be, my, I, I interacted with him four times, I found him to be incredibly friendly, incredibly personal. Maybe it was because I was a fan. Maybe his, his demeanor with people he's working with is very different from people that he recognizes as a fan. But he was over-the-top generous with his willingness to let me interrupt his browsing the shelves of the store and have conversations with him. And one of, And on this fourth occasion... Because I talked to him about a few things. He told me, like, at one point, I think it was, like, the third time he'd come in, he told me, he's like, yeah, look for my cameo in King Kong. I'm, like, an air an air guy, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. He's like, I'm one of the, the pilots that tries to fire missiles at King Kong while we're driving around. Uh, but he would share these little anecdotes and things. And in the fourth time he was there, we were talking very specifically about the Shawshank Redemption. And he was talking about how 
the film did not do very well at all. Number one, it had some heavy, heavy competition. It was the same year that Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump came out. So all of the attention was going to Quentin Tarantino and to Forrest Gump as a film. And so Shawshank Redemption was just not getting a lot of praise. Plus, it was a a two-and-a-half-hour film, a a two-and-a-half-hour prison film, that (laughs) on top of that has, like, this lengthy... And it's a period piece, plus it has this title that... I mean, it's in cultural significance right now, but at the time it was released, everybody's like, Shawshank Redemption, that's that's hard to say. I don't want to even buy a ticket for that because I don't know how to say the right words. I'm actually not joking. We talked about how, like, he feels that the title was maybe something that inhibited people from coming to see the movie. But we were talking about how over time, when it was released to home video and word of mouth began to spread about it, um, it gained this tremendous affection and popularity. And I remember this one specific moment when he was sitting there and he he was holding a magazine in his hand. And if memory serves me correctly, it was Empire Magazine. But Empire Magazine had listed out, like, you know, the greatest films of all time or whatever. And we were having a conversation about the disappointment with Shawshank Redemption and how it had fizzled. It didn't make a ton of money. Studios had kind of passed it over. It got nominated for some Oscars, but it didn't win anything, and it was just kind of passed on all these things. But then he, I remember this moment, he opened up the magazine, and he said, but let me show you this. And he pointed to where, in this particular magazine, Shawshank Redemption had been voted the number one film of all time. Hmm. And I remember this look that he had on his face when he's like, but then there's this, and so, you know, what do you say? And it was just this, it was this really endearing sort of moment where this, this, this conversation about the commerce and of industry of filmmaking mm-hmm. and the potential impact to audience all just sort of melds together in this really, uh, I don't know, it, it, was, it was poignant, it was endearing. And uh, Darabont gave me his email address. And for a couple of uh, weeks after that, we exchanged a couple of little emails here and there. That email address no longer works. I did try it, not like several years ago. <laughs> email address. I still have the emails that he sent me, but that email address that I had originally no longer works. But um, I found him to be a really, really great guy in terms of, again, maybe it was just because I was a fan, but I found him to be like a really down-to-earth and generous guy who just wanted to tell good stories and wanted to make uh, films that would mean something to him. And uh, and so, yeah, it was uh, it, it was really cool. So, yeah, I've, he's one of my celebrities. He's one, Add him to the list. You know, about <laughs> about 15 minutes ago, I was singing your praises about how much I trust you and like how I should trust you more <laughs> and like I should just defer when I'm not sure. But then this happens. I'm like, oh. So what really we was really after was just a backdoor means to tout his bona fides once more as the, as the celebrity whisperer. Um, well, you know, I didn't bring it up on the mist when we covered that, so you got to give me some credit, you know, because I never talked to him about the mist because when I talked to him, the mist hadn't been made yet. So there was that. Hmm. Yeah. So, but one final note on my interaction with him. At the time, and this makes me sad, he was very passionate about and had written a script for. Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 Hmm. and was trying to get it off the ground. And Tom Hanks had, and incidentally, Tom Hanks wanted to do the Shawshank Redemption. Have you heard this story? Did you stumble across this? So Tom Hanks was approached to play the Andy Dufresne role in Shawshank Redemption, but he was committed schedule-wise to Forrest Gump and couldn't do it. And so that's why, um, like as a 
piggyback. He was like, if you ever are doing anything again, give me enough heads up so I make sure my schedule's free. And that's why Tom Hanks stars in The Green Mile. It's because he badly wanted to be a part of Shawshank Redemption because of the script and, and couldn't do it schedule-wise. Interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and Tom Hanks was attached to Fahrenheit 451, and a major reason, among others, that it wasn't getting off the ground is because he was committed at the time to Ron Howard's Da Vinci Code films, like Da Vinci Code and then Angels and Demons and stuff like that. Right. That's why they could never gain any traction on Fahrenheit 451, and eventually just... Darabont, like I don't, I don't know this because all this happened after I had spoken with him. But uh, he had to like let the project go, and it went on and got made by somebody else. But anyway, those are those are my Darabont stories. A few of them, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sharing everything. We talked like for a long time each time. Yeah, yeah. Some secrets are meant to be kept. This is going to be hard to believe, but he's as much, if not more, of a talker than I am. Like if if, if a fan catches him in the right moment. And he's allowed the room to just go. He'll tell you stories. Like I don't know if he's still like this, but he was. He was getting to a point to where he would just like volunteer stories to me. I I don't know, but yeah. It's, there's that. It's just as you read. <laughs> it is it's me. Just you. You are the celebrity whisperer. I bring it out in people. I'm just saying. I'm just yep, saying. Yep. Um, um. So yeah. So do you want to keep doing this, or do you want to get the movie? You know what? <laughs> just you met. You met Tom Hiddleston. It's true. And Charlie I did that, and I mentioned and it once. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is going to be a crucial moment for our friendship. <laughs> it's um, all good. It's all good. So, uh, but no, no. By all means, like we could go on and on and on and on for a bunch of trivial bits. Maybe if something else comes up while we're talking about it, we can. But no, let's get into this film. This film's fantastic. Um, our listeners have probably seen this. We're usually having to tell people about like, hey, seek out this movie or you should definitely see Listener, you, there, it, there's a 9 out of 10 chance that you have seen Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> probably more than once. Um, so how about you, Nathan? Have you seen Shawshank me? Redemption? I have. More than once? You know, yeah, now. Um, I made this reference on... Was it Farts in Atlantis when I was talking about The Godfather? Yeah, because you were talking about Irishman. Yes, homework. exactly. Yes, yes. That feeling of the quote-unquote experience of a classic film. Mm, mm, and mm-hmm. what a- actual classics, right? Um, <laughs> like legitimate classics. Right, right. So, of course, I've seen this before. I don't think I've seen it in its entirety since I would have been a more conscious moviegoer. Okay, know, like just yes, like, yes. Mm-hmm. Or movie appreciator, film goer, what have you. Because it is just the cultural touch point at this moment, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like you, you just, oh, yeah, Shawshank and everything. Like, have you seen it? Sure, I've seen it. Of course I've seen it. Like, it just is. Um, and because of my capacity for, you know, just falling asleep, to be real frank, in a movie <laughs> these days, um, <laughs> hilariously, I don't think I told you this, or I may have texted you this, but not on the show. I did start The Irishman. Yeah, I got twenty you, minutes. I got twenty. I got twenty minutes in, and I was like, "You told me this." Oh, what? Oh, 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 oh God! What am I even doing this? Um, <laughs> I'll get back to it. You know, whatever. Oh, but point being, I started for this recording Shawshank. My viewing of Shawshank late, like probably, probably like ten, mm. and presuming, you know what? There's going to come a point in this movie. 
I'll just pause it and go to bed. But like in other words, I anticipated this. I was going to break. Going to get sleepy. Yeah. Versus versus what often can happen where I don't where I don't plan the break and I just fall out, right? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I feel like I've developed, I've like self-developed this reputation as a narcoleptic, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Nathan's like, it's only what? a matter of time oh, before okay. you fall asleep on pod, I'm just telling you. Right, right, right. Um, oh, it's happened before. You, you do talk. He's <laughs> like, it happened a few minutes ago, Reed. Like, I don't yeah, know, yeah, I missed, yeah, yeah, I missed yeah. most yeah. of what you said. How long did you go? Wow. Have we been recording that long already? Um, wow. So, <laughs> so I started this viewing late and... I know you know this, uh, but this movie is magical. Yeah, it and is. Yeah, it, it, is. It, it, it weaves a spell. And at a certain point, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to turn this off. I'm mm, awake. Mm-hmm, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I am in it. I am seeing this through. And, I mean, it was, it was probably one of the more rewarding just sort of at-home movie watchings I've had in a while. Right, just, right. You know, by the end of it, you're kind of exultant, you're mm. teary, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're just totally on board with what has been happening. And it is funny, as you were describing, perhaps the more mishmash kind of rhythm of the movie, I find kind of endearing. In other words, I'm not thinking about it like as a fresh viewer in 94 or whenever it was. Sure. Um, yes, yes. I'm thinking, okay, this is an intact piece of, of just cultural gravity. I'm going to engage it as such. And, right. And was rich, right. richly rewarded for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, are, are there specific sort of avenues you want to walk down or just general chatting? Yeah, I uh, I don't have anything specific that I want, like any sort of specific avenue points. I'll talk a little bit about my history with it. So I one of my very first jobs was at a video store, and Shawshank Redemption, again, as I would mentioned, did not do very well at the box office, but got a lot of traction on home video release. Uh, you know, like it's one of those, it was one of those films that you'd go to the video store, uh, somebody would walk in, and they'd be like, Hey, I want to. I'm looking for a good movie. What's you, when I worked at a video store, and anybody who has worked in a video store will know that you just get about 17 customers per day who will just walk in, look at you, and say, "What's good?" And then you just have to, you know, be light on your feet to find out what they're interested in and recommend it. Well, Shawshank Redemption, when it came out, was something that everybody was talking about. Like, no, this is good. Like, you need to see this movie. So I remember very specifically. Um, my mom and dad uh, being in ministry many times that they would uh, be out for the evening in times where I didn't have to necessarily accompany them. They would be traveling a great distance, especially as I got to be an older teenager. Well, I remember one evening they were away at some sort of conference or some sort of banquet that I did not have to attend. And I remember putting on the Shawshank Redemption, which I had just rented coincidentally. And I still, to this day, this is like, Obviously, like 20-something years later, I can still picture myself there in that moment. I can see the space around me. I can see watching the film for the first time because it captivated me so immensely that it quickly catapulted up to one of my very favorite films. Um, I've seen the film several times throughout the years, and each time I see it, all of that building up to, I've seen this film probably, uh, like, if not into double digits, at least eight or nine times. I started it with also the intention of I'm going to watch half of this and watch <laughs> the other half the other night, and sure enough, like 1:15 a.m., I'm turning the wow. film. I'm yeah, turning. Yeah. I'm turning the film off, going, 
man, I feel so rewarded that <laughs> that like that this is one of the few films that I would say is almost better than sleep. Like not not much is, but I was like, this is I can I can get behind that. Story. I feel like I feel like that's this a lot is a really, these days. Yes, it's funny. Really it's funny how film. you to hear you describe it that way because I remember. Um, and we'll we'll get to these points, but I just I got super weepy at the end, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember it turning it off, and it was probably twelve thirty, twelve forty five, and and just just kind of this lovely peacefulness of spirit kind of resting in me and kind of going to bed teary and i'm like <laughs> if someone's up right now they're like are you okay i'm like i am so okay i'm so okay everything's Everything okay is good yes yes and i hope i hope oh and what is so we'll there, yeah. yes we will what is so remarkable about the film is on paper this is one of the happiest has to be one of the happiest endings to a film that I have ever seen. And from my perspective, and I think you'll agree, one of those rare moments where it earns it so much that it does not feel cheap, it does not feel forced. Like everything, it feels baked into the story in such a way that when that happy ending comes, for me, I don't feel like it's sappy or overly sentimental or anything. I feel like it is substantively hopeful and inspiring in a way that I think few other films are able to achieve um, so much satisfaction at the end uh, of the film and all of it to me feeling like it has been earned by the narrative that we've seen, which I think is remarkable. Um, are you able, before we get, uh, this is going to be just one of those movies where we're basically s- like Andy Dufresne through a, a, a sewer pipe of muck, uh, going to be just <laughs> swimming around in all the deep things. But um, do you know any specific discrepancies between the text and the film most of the differences between the film and the and the original novella are matters of truncation for time for instance uh in the in the novella there are multiple wardens it is not one warden um but darabont and i think rightly so thought it would be easier to latch onto a singular villain than to explain the passage of all these different wardens um smaller other things like the rock hammer, like he gets more than one rock hammer because the rock hammers wear out. Um, so sure. there, you know, it was just again truncated for time and narrative heft. Um, at the, probably the biggest change is uh, that in the film, in the novella, Red is like a white Irishman, and so right. and so he um, they kept the line and just lifted it as a joke uh, when he says like, "Why do they call you Red?" Like that's that's from the I think that's from sure. the the novella, uh, but Morgan Freeman just says it and then just like chuckles to himself afterwards, which I find delightful. Um, I did he, I did see one on 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 that scene, which in the film is them throwing a baseball in the prison yard. Yes, I did see a trivial bit that I identified that Morgan Freeman threw the ball the entire shooting day, which was nine hours. Yeah, and and that the next day he showed up in a sling. Yeah, that he hurt his arm. His arm. Yeah. Yes. Um. So there's a. I mean, in terms of like the discrepancies with the novella, this is one of the rare instances. I mean, I'm going to recommend almost anything that Stephen King has written. Even his worst material is still mostly worth your time. Honestly, in my opinion. Um. But 
the this is one of those rare instances where not only is the adaptation of his of his work as good as his work, it's better. I sure. think you will be if you've seen the film, I think you will be slightly disappointed when you go to the actual prose work. And I think even King has said like I never would have imagined that Darabont could have gleamed from my material what he gleamed out of Shawshank Redemption. Like he said I I I don't King had said something to the effect of, I don't even know how that could be adapted as a piece. And Darabont had responded like, it feels obvious to me how this could be adapted as a piece. And then went and did it. And then, you know, we get what is considered one of the greatest films of all time. So, yeah. Real quick, um, again, a couple just sort of cursory notes. Uh, Fear of God, just sort of name checks here. The intersection of not just Lost, but X-Files does occur in this film. Uh, um, you, only the deepest of deep X-Files fans, Ned, you, you hear me? Mm-hmm. Um, on the rooftop scene, once Andy has, um, negotiated their way into the work and then the beer, one of the lieutenants to Clancy Brown's character is an actor whose name I don't know, but I just know his face, uh, uh who, who is in an episode, actually a couple of episodes of X-Files playing the character Leonard Betts. Oh, who eats cancer because that's the X-Files. Um, okay. So X-Files reference. And then you've got Clancy Brown, which is a lost reference. Clancy Brown is Indeed. the um, gentleman who is manning the station that has come to be uh, occupied by Desmond David Hume uh, once he reaches the island. Um, but yeah, so fun little cross-references there. Um, I, I will do my last little obnoxious comment and then we'll get into the meat here. Um, I did watch this and, uh, the imagery of this film makes me think of my other favorite prison movie. Do you know what my other favorite Your prison other movie is? other favorite prison movie. <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> what is your other favorite prison movie? It's the one and only Paddington 2. Um, <laughs> that is a good prison movie. Some of these, it's a great prison movie. <laughs> They are very different prison movies, they but are. they might be on par with each other. Thematically, the of these they're not that movies. different. They aren't that different, no. Thematically, but they are. There they were are. moments. Now, the good news here is Shawshank overrides some of these circuits that will start to click into place. But there were moments in some of the imagery and the topography of the prison of Shawshank where all I could picture was Hugh Grant singing and dancing down the steps. (laughs) 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 That is a great movie. That's awesome. Paddington 2 is a pretty great movie. Um, movie. And this is too. So, um, Absolutely. I feel like it's hard to enter into this conversation because you... Where do you go? Right, because there's so much to talk about. The performances are outstanding. The The look of the film from uh, now Oscar-winning cinematographer Roger Deakins. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it, this, is a, this is a murderer's row of talent. I mean, it really is. Darabont, Deakins, the cast itself, Thomas Newman's score. Oh. You, talk about, you talk about the look of the film. One of the things, and again, it's been years since I've watched this from beginning to end, so though I knew the story, just some of the smaller things uh, you know, kind of grace notes would have been lost to memory, but probably what 10 minutes in is this fantastic shot of the aerial view oh, of the prison yard. Like my God, that's, yes. that's one of those shots that I'm like, dang, now that <laughs> is movie making. I mean, really yes. like you yes, are just really even is. the, even though from a purely like, uh, 
geographical standpoint, you're kind of at a distance from the action. It's so sure. you're you're at the same time immediately arrested by what you're watching. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a couple of interesting things um, to me. The film, obviously, initially, it wasn't very well received. Um, or I shouldn't say it wasn't well received. It was well received by everybody who watched it, from my understanding. But not that many people cared to go and see it until word of mouth reached a point to where they, you know, were drawn into it. Well, then it rises to the like number one on IMDb. It has been the number one film on IMDb since 2008, which I think is remarkable. That's like for 11 years, it's been at the top of the heap, overriding like Godfather. I mean, everything. So then what's crazy is that I began to notice that over time, people began to kind of backlash a bit against the film as like overrated as if like, okay, Shawshank Redemption is not that great to which I would pretty much say to anybody like, have you watched the film? Have you watched the film or are you just reciting like some memory of it or whatever? Because I feel like I would challenge anybody who watches this film and comes away saying it's not that great to be like, you like how you tell me how it's not like one of the greatest films of all time. But what's interesting to me about the way that like culture can change and the way that, perceptions can change is the film has stayed the same like it hasn't gone into any like director's cuts or anything like that this has been the piece that was released to theaters and has stayed kind of locked to time ever since then but it's been interesting to me to watch social and cultural opinion change on the film uh just depending on the waves of whatever else is going on but for me this is one of those rare films that just every single time you you use this phrase like it casts a spell it it draws you in in this way that i think very very few films can do uh, to where like for me i could start watching a few scenes from it and then just okay well now my next hour is lost like unless there's an alarm sounding saying like i need to be somewhere now this is just what's happening now i'm just watching all the way through andy's prison break and everything is going to like and seeing all the way up to their reunion on the beach that's going to be my next couple of hours but you talk about the like we can talk about the performances we can talk about the structure of the script everything about this film just works so remarkably well um i mean i don't know if you have specific things that you would like to highlight which i'm going to welcome you to do but honestly at this point i want to start gushing about the or whenever you are able to i want to start gushing about the things that the film is trying to say and the things that the film is trying to do um but i want to give you some opportunities to talk about like just some specific likes dislikes or even if you have some scares or something um i you know any scares are purely just kind of manufactured for the sake of our traditional format but you know the piece as a whole is so transfixing, but I do want to highlight, at least in passing, we don't have to spend a ton of time here before we just sort of open the door to themes um, or dig our way to them. Um, mm -hmm. I I love the what in the moment might seem random, but otherwise just beautiful interlude of Brooks's experience out yes. in the world. Yes, like, it's so beautiful and lovely and I mean tragic of course but for a film to this is the essence of theme right like you can't do that's a, this film breaks the rules mm, mm -hmm. right this is just a secondary character whom sure we like and are nominally affectionate towards but we suddenly have this 
probably 10 minute interlude yeah. of just his experience out in the world that like you just don't do when you're like oh, keep keep on the path keep on the path which means yeah it's it's signaling something right mm -hmm. you right. know it's yeah, it's not just the tragedy of brooks it's asking bigger questions and so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we can get to we can for sure get to those bigger questions and maybe fast but i just wanted to highlight that particular sequence as something real special and beautiful and yes and and energizing um that kind of propels you into that second half of the film and this is you're so right that this is that that is the kind of sequence that a studio would look at and be like well this this bogged down your narrative like keep right. keep moving like you need to move on this is six minutes that you can cut out but it is so monumentally significant to a smaller moment that happens at the very end that uh and i think i had texted you something to this effect but you know, when when we're shown Brooks's entire sort of struggles on the outside, Brooks is a, for the three of you who listen to our show that have never watched Shawshank Redemption, go watch Shawshank Redemption. But if you'll recall, if you haven't seen it in a long time, Brooks is the character that he's the old man and he was the librarian and he is let free from Shawshank Redemption because he's served his time after 50 years. And so when he's out on the outside, he has this really poignant monologue about how he, you know, is struggling to make it on the outside. And he says, you know, I don't think I'm going to stay. And he carves in the place where he's staying. He carves on the like one of the I don't know what you would call that, that little lattice hanging up at the top. But he carves up there. Brooks was here and then hangs himself from it. Very tragic. Very sad. Hangs himself from it. But Nathan, I think I texted you, the weight of narrative power and thematic significance of the fact that Red, once Red is released, goes to the same place. And like when he enters into that apartment, looks up and sees where it says Brooks was here. And right. then the difference and distinction in the choice that he makes and... The, the the fact that when he's making his choice to press forward into hope and press forward into what may be ahead of him in his life, that up on the thing it says, Brooks was here, and then it just says, so was read. Those three words, so was read, I'm not going to be able in this conversation to do justice to the emotional impact those three words, so was read, has on me every single time I watch this film because of the weight of I'm making a different choice. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I've gone through the same thing. I've crossed the same path, but it doesn't mean that, that I'm going to end in the same place. And I just, I have, but it's also, yeah. and let's just full bore in here. It's also solidarity and suffering. Oh, it absolutely. Is, absolutely. So was it read. Is. Like yes. it is, yes. it is, it is enjoining himself to the tragedy of Brooks. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and almost in so doing redeeming mm -hmm. Brooks's tragedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and not as in redeeming it as in painting over it, redeeming it as in making it right. Yes. Making yes. it well. And this movie is very interested in those things. And it's interesting. Um, so we're at roughly the hour mark of our conversation. And so I imagine there's a world where we spend half an hour talking about thematics, which I'm okay with. And so if you're cool with it, let's just sort of. Yeah, let's go into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dancing around this thing. Um, 
something that occurred to me and I just wrote down and is going to be paired well with some of the thematic ideas I'd already written down. You made the comment a minute ago about the spell being cast um, and whether you were in, in your own moment solidarity with me or just sort of restating it for the record, whatever. But like mm-hmm. I was it, in the moment, I was just thinking about that. I was like, why... Why, what is what is it that's so entrancing about this movie? Not just as a film, yes, as yeah, a film, right. it clearly has earned its ranks um, and its place. But so there's a world where you know, twenty year old me, seventeen year old me, who was much more bright eyed about a particular version of faith and 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 the life of faith would have said and found some things of a quote unquote Christian variety to take away from this film. That said, I don't think they would have been very mature in the way that probably 60 year old me will look back and say, Oh, 40 year old Nathan, even then Mm. not quite. Mm. So what I am so arrested by in this film and, and, and your call out a moment ago leads here, we could rattle off, lines and maybe at the end of this conversation we just do that just to Mm. kind of get them out of our system yeah but but to me why this film is so powerful to the 40 year old nathan who has the life experiences and what passes for maturation if you listen to hearts in atlantis maybe (laughs) not much um is the question of this film to me isn't how are we going to get out of here? It is instead, how are we meant to live here? Mm-hmm. And that is a dramatic reversal, right? Yeah. So yeah. much of our, my, I'll speak for me, maybe you can echo this, so much of my youthful conversations of faith and life were some sort of vision of abandonment from this hell, Right. Of of whatever, uh, you know, pick the bad thing in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, for the Southern Baptists of the late '90s that I trafficked in, it was Disney and their gay day, you know. Mm-hmm. For the pick pick the thing that for for 2019 quote unquote million mom campaigns targeting Hallmark for their LGBTQ inclusion Christmas commercial about a lesbian couple right right pick the thing that you would signal as we got to get this out of here or we've got to get out of here what is so beautiful to me about this film now andy is a real character and for that i love him who does ultimately encounter some roadblocks to his personal internal healthfulness health healthiness right but right the character of andy dufresne more or less, and not in a supernatural, distant, I can't be like that kind of way, more or less walks through this experience at peace. Mm. Now, mm. We, could, we could make the case he's working this long con and that's why he's not totally worried, whatever, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is the question isn't how is he going to get out. Yeah. yeah. What impresses upon me so much is and what is so impactful and what is instructive to me as a person who wants to embody Christ in this world isn't how do I get out of this place? It's how am I supposed to live here? 
Yeah, right. Not right. not because it's so terrible, but because it is broken. And it is wrapped up with its own hurt that it inflicts upon us or what have you. But like, we have to walk with our heads high. And for me, as maybe just a launch pad into bigger thematic conversations, that's just so powerful. Like, it isn't about getting out. Mm. It's yeah. about living whole while in. Yeah. I forget anyway. what the, no, I forget what the line is. He says it's at, immediately following that tossing the ball back and forth scene that we referenced where Red is trying to sort of size Andy up and express some of his feelings about him. And he says in that sequence, he says he he almost strolled as if he didn't have a care in the world. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he was never sort of, he never let the place infect him to the degree that when he does his first stretch in the hole for like blasting the record label mm-hmm. out onto mm-hmm. the uh, prison yard. And then when he comes back, he says it was the easiest time he ever did because he had Mozart to keep him company. Like he is holding on with a an adamant passion, but almost a humble passion as well, to this sense of hope. And it's it, it's a little on the... The way that I'm expressing it is going to be cheesier than the way the film expresses it and displays it. But... It is this whole notion of, like, they are literally prisoners, and yet here's a man in the midst. How many times does Red say, you know, like, he says it when they're drinking beer on the on the roof. We felt like free men with the sun on our mm-hmm. shoulders. Mm-hmm. When they hear the record player, he's like, every man in Shawshank felt free. And, and the freedom that comes from this beauty and this sharing and that happens, and I love so much the way you're equating this to yeah, not not how do I get out? And I mean, it must be noted that eventually Andy does get out. Sure. But but how do I while here, how do I live in such a way as to not be infected and affected by the place where I am? And that's it's a powerful powerful sentiment to recognize that it is possible to not allow the, the trappings of the place around you to define who you are and how you navigate it. That's a very powerful takeaway. Well, and and I love that you brought up the scene of the the record player because Yeah. I what I wrote down there, as I said, in prison we amplify the beauty. That's our mm. call. Mm. To to use our position of privilege to gift grace and beauty and love to those wow. who need it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And Andy, Andy for, you know, dumb luck, intellectual capacity, you know, uh, whatever has earned a place of privilege in this environment. And what does he do? He locks out the authority mm. and amplifies beauty to those who are starving for it. And that's yes. it. Like that is the call. Oh, like it's man. not, it's not getting out. It's, it's solidarity. It's so was Red. So is Andy. So is Nathan. So is Reed. Like yeah. it's it's yeah. us in this. You know, I don't even want to. I don't even mean to suggest a fatalism of oh, we're just walking around a hellscape. Like that's not what I mean. I'm just taking the metaphor, which is on a certain level, this place isn't our ultimate destination, and uh, at least in its current form, depending on your right, es- right. eschatological views. 
but we are we are wrong and i think in gross error if we look at it as just a prison that we have to escape from mm. and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm i'm speaking on multiple levels there but the point being like you i just man I don't know if you did this with your Christian peers when you were a teenager, but I remember what I would now say are stupid conversations of like, Oh, it's going to be so great when Jesus is here and comes back. And, and and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was and and I I want to show grace to my youthful self, but it wasn't to punish the evildoers or the wicked or whatever. It was simply like this romanticized sort of escape. It was a romanticization Mm -hmm. of an escape. And I have come, to a dramatically different place than I was at that time of life to be able to say it. We don't romanticize escape. We, we, we imbue goodness and mercy and beauty as we walk, not Mm. Mm. one day. And I think that's the power of this film that he gets his reward. He gets his reward because of honoring that daily experience. And it was with pressure and time. Like, Yes. yes, it's, it's because and he even has this conversation with him about with Red, where he's like, you know, I I built a library while I'm here, you know, like, and and he talks about the because the, they keep pressing before the big reveal towards the end that Andy, it's it's not a big reveal to us, it is a big reveal to his fellow inmates that he is legitimately innocent, that he has been wrongfully convicted, and that he's been here for 19 years. Before that big information comes to light, they're talking to him about like how they serve their time and how they move through their time and everything. And the I forget exactly what moment it was that they were latching onto it, but he hones in on the things that he's done. You know, like helping people set up college funds for their kids. Yes, they're they're prison guards and everything like that, but he's he's helped this tremendous amount of people along the way. Yes, he helped some crooked people do some crooked things, but. Um, in the in the interim, he had done tremendous good with what he was there for, and it is what I love so much about your comparison to the way we used to view. Like, yes, G, uh, th- there's a way that people would approach the subject of the mess around. It's like, oh man, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back and just stop all right. this nonsense, right. you know? And okay, fine, fair enough, Lord help me and forgive me. There are many, many days where I would love an escape hatch, love one. And to be honest, create ones for myself in films and books and ways that I distract myself and stuff like that. Like there are plenty of days where I would love an escape hatch. But the, the reason why his escape is so fulfilling is because any one of the pieces had to be earned by pressure and time. Like, he had to, uh, because uh, for those who are forgetting details of the film you've seen or have not seen the film, he escapes by tunneling through the wall, but then he also has to, like, break open the sewage pipe and crawl through, like, five football fields worth of sewage and stank and vomit along the way and everything. But it's not just that he escapes and, like, runs into the woods. He also has an identity that he can assume that has been crafted and created, albeit as part of this substitutionary crooked scheme, but he even redeems that end of things is because he he took what other people were going to steal and sort of repurposed it in this uh, sort of new creation that he has now adopted, this new identity that, he is new, that he's now assumed. And what's fascinating to me is, had he escaped like 
three years earlier, maybe not all of that would have been possible. And what I love so much about what we're scratching up against right here is he's doing the day in, day out, like the yes. the the long walk that yes. we that we keep talking about the 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 uh, it's uh, it's actually long walk is a Stephen King book. I'm referring to Eugene Peterson's yes. phrase, the long obedience in the same direction. Like I'm steadily heading along this path, and that's it. Exhibited in a somewhat trivial way, but to this end of when the when the the congressman finally send him funds for his library and a collection of books and sundries. He's and they're like, please stop sending us letters. He's like. Now I'll send two a week, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, well, this, and I, yeah. I cannot get over. Um, and I do think stuff like this, because this movie is so resonant is probably on Darabont's mind at a point, And maybe this is a, a part and parcel of the original text. I just don't know. I haven't read it, but I, I, Nathan am so less interested in the, signified faith which is signaled in this film by the warden he yeah. quotes scripture oh, yeah. mm-hmm. he oh, yeah. he signals a religion a disposition of religion right he is a disciplinarian in the name of correctiveness he is authoritarian in the role of teaching lessons like right. That is not a foreign element of our lived faith in this country, at least, if not the broader world. Right. And you, you, you set that against in the film and Andy, who just lives it. It is truthful. It is real. It is obedient. It is faithful. It is peaceful. It right. is inspiring to others Mm, uh right yes i mean i mean my god reed i'll say it here uh where is it i bolded it uh hope is a good thing maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies Mm. i think i think that red's journey and and it's so amazing it's so amazing to watch these characters like i personally think Few of us will fully attain this or, or live a super fulfilled version of this. I think we're called to be Andy, right? Like mm, walking, yeah, yeah. walking faithfully in a place that isn't quite uh, a good fit, if you will. I think a lot of us are red who, yes, yes. When, when faced with the most beautiful expression of brotherliness and compassion i am so struck reed the the dialogue yes the dialogue is amazing i hope i hope i hope my god how how what a hymn right h-y-m-n the moment when he is digging for what he doesn't know what and i know you know this moment what does he do he he finds the remnant he finds the gift of andy's right which is what Remind me exactly what's in it. Is it money? It's well, it's some money and it's a note telling him where to like telling him where to go and when he finds you know, right. Yeah. And when he finds the money, do you remember what he does physically? What does Morgan Freeman do? Looks around. He looks around. Mm-hmm. He can't believe it. This is us, Reed. This is us. We are red. We look around in the face of free hope. 
and say, there's got to be a catch to this. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's on my heels. Something's going to come and snatch this away from me. This uh, can't be yes. true. Yes, yep, exactly. And he does it twice. You know, he does it when he first finds that before he opens the box, and he, he does it when he pulls open the envelope of money, which we're not told how much money is in that. But uh, no, you're absolutely right. I'm, I, I want, you know, I feel like you're being mighty deferential to me and, and like uh, read to Andy, I'm grateful <laughs> for this gift. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned at the top of the show when you were asking about Christmas, I'm doing this play right now. And few listeners may ever get to see this and that's totally cool. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't quite go this in depth about the show, but this, this play, it's called The Birth. It's inspired by the writings of Frederick Buechner. Well, other than produce and direct, I'm, I'm in it. And what I perform in this show is three character monologues. And it's going to sound cheesy, but you, most listeners know me well enough at this point. What might sound cheesy, in fact, has a lot of hopeful richness to it. Well, these characters I perform are the innkeeper, a wise man, and a shepherd, participants, observers, and experiencers of the uh, incarnation narrative. And the shepherd has this line and it's this thing that has really um, as I perform this play play for 14 years now little notes kind of like a movie like this you watch it enough times you're going to start noticing different things right like oh I love this right. okay oh, right, oh now I, I didn't catch that line previously now I'm really in love with that line similar something like this play well the shepherd of this play and, and I'm bringing this to the movie it'll be clear in a moment um, he is describing the the appearance of the heavenly host, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, he's articulating what that experience was like. And if you've ever read any Frederick Buechner, you know, he's an, you know, I don't even know the proper adjective for his skill level as a writer, but it's, it's none of it traditional kind of hokum, hokey religious language. But there's a moment where this shepherd is trying to articulate his experience of this heavenly host encounter. And he says, you know, it was just like being let out of jail. Mm, wow. wow. Right. And I think if we can somehow navigate into application here, we, we, it, it's, it's to me, it's almost like the call of faithfulness upon us is to live even while in as though we have been let out of jail, because mm. I think in most ways that matter, we have, we just like Brooks don't quite get it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling no, a little bit. No, here, I do. I do get it. So I remember this. So this is uh, the reason this stands out to me is because I think this conversation that I'm about to reference that I had several years ago, um, I think it cost me a writing job, honestly, because um, when we, I was talking with some people that were interested in adapting this uh, book, and I had written a draft of it for them, and uh, then we were talking through it, and they, they talked about a, a specific approach, and they used the Shawshank Redemption as a reference point. And I'm going to pivot this back into what you were talking about for a second. Yeah. And I made the case... Because somebody made a statement, they say, well, I don't think anybody would disagree. I mean, this is, I know Red narrates it, but this is Andy's story. 
to which I spoke up, and again, I think it cost me the job. I said, <laughs> I would disagree with that. I don't think this is Andy's story. I think this is yeah. Red's story. Yeah. And you talk about how we are Red, and yes. it's one of those things where I look at it and I think about, you know, there are very... I hear you that I I don't even disagree that I think maybe we're challenged and called to be more like Andy, to not let the things affect us and everything. But I think I think more of us would relate more and would see ourselves more in the journey that Red takes because sure. he's the one he's given you know so much of his life to this institution. Forty years he doesn't let out. He he serves forty years of a prison sentence, and uh, you know by the math. 21 of it is before he ever meets Andy. So he's already very institutionalized, as it were. So, but I, I feel like why it's so important to us and relative to this conversation that we recognize that we are red is because the understanding that we get to where we recognize that there is hope beyond where we are, where we're stationed, and what we see and what we're uh, surrounded by, I feel like what Red observes in Andy is this, it's just a different way of, of seeing life and a different way of navigating life. And he himself, when he gets out, is thinking about ending it. And he even says the only thing that stopped him from ending it and from doing exactly what Brooks did was a promise he made to Andy. And that was that was the one thing, the promise to go and seek this place out. And I love little things like, these are small little touches, and I could almost guarantee, not because I talked with him about it, but I could almost guarantee <laughs> <laughs> this was not in Darabont's mind when he was doing this. But we're t we are talking, you and I are having a conversation about this persistent like day in, day out, and how long things take and th this sort of faithfulness in a long term, like I love, love, love the small little touch that uh, Red does not just drive up to the hill in Boxton or the field in Boxton. He has to walk to it. He hitches a ride to a certain point, and then we are given like three brief montage scenes of him just walking, jacket on, then jacket off with you know on his shoulder or whatever. It took him time. There is this journey that is going to it. And I'm telling you, man, the ways in which we ourselves in so many of our in so much of our language, the ways in which we want, and I'm not talking about culture, and I'm not talking about quick fixes for microwave and you know, all all these kinds of ways that we can push a button and have a thing. I'm talking about how averse we are to these long walks, how averse we are to these pressure and time situations to release ourselves from the the prisons that we would all like bemoan and that we would all like rail against like it really does become uh like a spirit set and a mindset to say like this is going to in the same way that hope is a good thing and no good thing ever dies um i think in the same way like hope is not born of a split second like, it's born, I love the way that when Red first sees him, he sizes him up as like, he says he's got a silver spoon. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he says like, this is, this is just a guy who everything's been handed to him and everything. He sizes him up in all the wrong ways, but it takes time for Red to sort of come on board with what 
Andy brings to the table and how Andy navigates this whole world. And I just feel like we ourselves are too prone to wanting quick, easy fixes to things. We want to implement some new policy. We want to implement some new uh, rule or some new standard. And we want, even in our faith language, we want some big, booming, dramatic movement to come in and, and or like a revival or something to come in and sweep and just like rearrange the DNA of everything. When in point of fact, maybe it is just the continual perpetual choice to wake up day in, day out and be different and approach things differently and be, to, to borrow biblical language, peculiar, to be strange in yes. the midst and, and to be unusual in a place like this. I'm referring, I'm borrowing the Shawshank language from Red and, and uh, you know, equating it to our present situations, being unusual in a place like this. And you do that until such a day. So I'm going to... Christmas Eve. I'm doing this play. I just read this book. So I just read this book. Uh, the book is called That They Shall All Be Saved. Author's a guy named David Bentley Hart. The book itself is way over my head. Um, but, and anyone who does a little deep dive on this book may come away and be like, Nathan, you're a heretic. Oh, okay, I can live with that. But um, it's, uh, he, ignoring, so the book is about kind of rejecting the notion of eternal conscious hell as an as a concept but uh so that's what i mean people are like oh my god um right but there's this really amazing metaphor that he utilizes for for christ's coming uh that that has really fed my spirit in the time since i read it and i'm gonna do a a, a poor job articulating it but effectively he describes a camp I am going to describe a prison mm. that Christ enters in to our walled place where we feel hopeless and alone and isolated and institutionalized and without help. And by his example inspires us to do likewise, mm. to, to rise to a station of dignity and self-respect and ultimately self-sacrifice yeah in following that path but when so so i am totally with you and if i'd been in the room with you um i would have supported your losing the job to say this is red story because <laughs> right right because this is our experience which is to say on this christmas eve as we have walked our year our life i hopefully with some sense of intentionality and faithfulness to what we might call good with a capital g is this anticipation right it's it's mm. it's christmas eve and yes, read when yes. when watching this movie i began actively weeping mm. it's the one of i think the final monologue and red says as he has dis this is after he's discovered the money the the gift for himself to be able to finish this journey yes and he says i find i'm so excited 
that I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it is the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at a start, interestingly, start of a long journey whose, yeah. conclusion, whose conclusion is uncertain. Mm. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. And that's it, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. there is nothing else to be said, really. Yeah. Except that we walk, we start our journey whose conclusion is uncertain based almost exclusively and only on that hope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oof. I know. And it's, it's so powerful that those two simple words are, you know, we talk, uh, Tyler talks about it more than I do. Uh, Tyler Smith over more than one lesson, but like, the idea about a film is is about how it ends and the final the final words that this leaves us with are just those two i hope mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a powerful thing um and it is in dramatically short supply in the times in which we live sometimes even in our own thoughts and minds it is uh it is difficult because nothing about your surroundings would indicate that you have any, <laughs> so I'm going to bleep it. I'm going to say it and quote it exactly how the, uh, the film does. When Andy starts talking about getting out and building a life for himself in Zewataneo and everything, Red says something that I think is really interesting. He says, you got to, I, I forget the exact line building up to it, but he's basically like, you got to stop talking like that, Andy, or you got to stop doing this to yourself, Andy. And do you remember what he calls the language that Andy is is uh, referring to? Do you remember the language he uses? I don't. I don't think so. It's not he, he calls them pipe dreams, mm. right? Oh wow! 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 Yeah. 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 You know where I'm going? Yeah. And he calls them pipe dreams, and that is what Andy crawls through to get to his like literally. He again, the metaphor is a bit on the nose, but that's literally what Andy crawls through. He and and comes out as Red would later say comes out clean on the other side, and uh, and it's it's it, the literal interpretation or the literal metaphor that I'm glatching onto is the fact that after Andy digs through the wall, he then has to break the sewage pipe and crawls through five football fields of sewage and uh, the like a sewage pipe to get to the area where like there's a washout and he flows into the river and that iconic moment of him like standing with his shirt mm-hmm. off like taking mm-hmm. his shirt off in the rain and letting the rain just sort of wash over him and i don't have the words at the moment to be able to really articulate the power of somebody coming to you somebody will come to you and say these things of which you are hoping like you need to just be realistic these are nothing but and i cannot believe i'm saying it nathan Please forgive the pithiness, but this is where my heart is at. Like, sometimes you have to take what other people see as no more than pipe dreams and just crawl through them. Crawl Mm -hmm. through the nausea, Mm -hmm. crawl through the pain, crawl through the grossness and the disgusting, crawl through the defeat, the the moments where you have to stop because you're so overwhelmed with sickness you don't know you're going to keep going, and then keep going, and then keep going through them because when you have 
such deep abiding hope. And that's language that we as Christians don't lean on as much anymore, but that's what they used to call sort of, and I'm not referring to like a specific version of eschatology, but the, to borrow Lord of the Rings language, the return of the king to which we all sort of look, whatever your personal eschatology is that what that will look like when Christ the king returns, we used to call it a blessed hope, the blessed hope. And when we absorb and adopt that notion of, you know, there is hope on the other end of all of these pipe dreams. There's there's hope at the end of it that we have to continue to crawl through. And I feel like so many of us, there's an old Rich Mullins song that I may have referenced before. I've referenced a few of his pieces here and there. Um, but there's an old Rich Mullins song uh, talking about someone who is about to give up, and the song is called Verge of a Miracle. Mm-hmm. And he's and he says, you know, like you, like you're on the verge of a miracle, just standing there. And I feel like there are so many of us who, due to our personal circumstances, I feel like one of the biggest detriments that we can take away from our like personal disappointments and everything is feeling like it's just not happening fast enough. It's just not uh, like the button's not clicking. We, Nathan, you and I are uh, like uh, you are officially. Uh, in your 40s, I am staring down the barrel of that same uh, era, and there is so much like the finger clicking on us, saying like, "Oh yeah, you you best be about it. Like you best you best get on with it." And one of the things I love so much about so many of the stories uh, that are in the Bible that are not highlighted very often, and stories like this, like this is happening to men who are in that. Like, do the math. Red's in his 60s at a minimum. He might even be approaching 70 years old at the time that we that we leave him yet what did you just quote a man at the what at the start Start of his journey whose conclusion is uncertain exactly red is just beginning look it's christmas it's christmas eve to our listeners like look at scrooge i spoke on our our episode about christmas carol about how this is the redemption of a man who many others would be like your time is gone your time is done like you're written off you're past and the reality that it is never quite too late for us as long as there is breath in your body it is never too late for you to begin that long hard work um and you know i'm inviting you to long hard work it's really more just a long patient steady work and and doing that self-evaluation and that uh that that work of personal reflection that work of fostering good in the world around you and in the people around you, it's never too late to begin that work. It's never too late to start that work. It's never too late to learn more how to do that work from other people. But um, we need this sort of absorption of recognizing, like, yeah, these these hope-filled dreams that we spit out into the world, they may seem unrealistic to others. They may seem like nothing more than just little pipe dreams, but Man, for the good Lord, there's hope at the end of them. There's there's freedom at the end of them. I want to, um, as maybe my final button here, um, make my three pastoral points. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's too reductive to purely call Andy a Christ figure, not just because yeah. I don't know that I totally buy that, just sort of uh, philosophically, but also I think there's a great risk that I feel like we run that where I'm at these days, when you name a thing, a Christ figure, when you impose those sorts of things, what that can often 
do is create a distancing effect, which means, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that is an other that I am unable to attain mm. um, mm. In, yeah. in, in sort of practically speaking. Um, yeah. But if we kind of run with that and sort of look at the principles that get conveyed, um, I also love, and I'm this is, again, two little quick insertions that haven't come up yet, but that are going to kind of ultimately be my summary point here. I love, I love, I love, um, after the gentleman that they coax to be the squealer basically dies in the infirmary overnight. Yeah. Right. Andy says, what was his name? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And they all basically look like him, look at him like he's a crazy person. And so there's that. And I'm going to come back to that momentarily. But the last thing is, of course, what is a sort of summary statement on the film, which is get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. And to me, again, we can unpack more if we want, but my principal takeaways, I heard someone one time say films or stories don't really have behavioral challenges to us and i would really rebuff that notion mm-hmm. um in other, in other words that you you know you're either a good person this is a super distilled way to interpret that but you're either a good person or you're a bad person none of this stuff can we learn from but uh my takeaways here are as we walk through this prison we find ourselves in that what is most imparted to us as our work is to amplify beauty Mm -hmm. dignify each other by name Mm -hmm. and to get busy living Mm. because Mm. because i will tell you this my observing my observing this could be perceived as too indicting or too cynical is we are very much craving the dying yeah at at expense of the living And, you know, there's a lot of weird sort of theological paths we could follow in that tiny little note. But I don't know, man, I think I think that's that's kind of it. You 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 turn on the phonograph. Mm -hmm. You instill identity, identity and name to those who have it, which is everyone. And you live. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, I, I'm going to throw in one more. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm actually not is not even a separate subject, but I'm just going to throw in one more in your uh, in your list. And that's just be a friend, mm-hmm. um, because one of the things I love so much about this film, and this will be my final button. One of the things I love so much about this film is just and, and I'm not the first person to point this out, but it is a very rare type of story in that it is about an intimate friendship between two men that is neither sexual nor adventurous in nature. So it's just about two men who become friends and it's not because they're like on a heist together or, or because, you know, they're trying to bring down like some big bad guy. Um, it's just because they were thrust into the same situation and navigated life together. Um, and the, the, as much as life as could be made of the Shawshank prison. And, I think it resonates so powerfully to me when Andy has escaped and Red is reflecting on how much dimmer the place is without him. Mm. 
Um, and, and then he sums it all up. Do you remember what he sums it all up with at that moment? Like by out in the field, he says, I think I just miss my friend. And that it's is like, what I would. It's like you asked me the question and didn't let me answer. No, you no. I'm sorry. Yes, it was, it <laughs> was a did you, you. Did you? But yes, I did know the answer. It's right here, oh. written down in front of me. Yes. See, look at that. No, yeah. See, I, sh- I should give you more chances to talk. Um, right. So, <laughs> so I can't miss you if you're never gone. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, so but no, like I think yes, amplify beauty speak things into you know by their proper name i forget exactly how you worded that um dignify each other by name. dignify dignify each other by name um and then get busy living and i would say uh you know be be an intentional friend and uh and that's something that uh i, I just really admire so much about this film this is a beautiful film i mean we've 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 touched on a lot but we could speak for another hour if we so chose um but if you're if you're up for it, then I say like we could leave it there, and um, I don't know. I may I may want to come back at some point to some more things that Shawshank Redemption has to say on a B side or whatever. But you want to pivot to the fog meter and and uh, you know sure. call call take it a us, day. Take, take us there, friend. So uh, on the fog meter, we measure things by fear and God, uh, specifically the scares and the substance. Now this is a little tricky. I almost don't want to go to the fog meter on this because the fear meter is going to be so right. low on this. Um, but this is specifically non-horror king material. Um, we should have graded those on a curve. We should have done that. I agree, yes. Just looking back on that, those past few, because we're specifically doing a series about non-horror material, so naturally the fear measurement is going to be low. Um, so, But uh, in the spirit of, of consistency, um, so on for Sh- Frank Darabont's Shawshank Redemption, I still do feel like there's some... Uh, some existential dread and some, you know, some tense situations in it. Nothing that's going to give anybody any nightmares, particularly with how the film ends. Uh, but I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three um, on the, the generalized fear measurement. What about for you? Um, I think I'll join you on that three. I actually, again, scares for a film like this are pretty relative, especially compared to what we cover most of the time. But I think the Elmo Blatch monologue is pretty Creepy. That's pretty gruesome. Yes, yeah, that's pretty, pretty rough. Gruesome. Yep, um, oh, absolutely. So yeah, I'll, I'll join you on the three. Okay, and what would you say for the God Meter? Eleven. Uh, are we allowed to do that? <laughs> for the Shawshank Redemption? Let's yes, do we are. That's the yes, curve. That's the curve. That's the curve. Is yes, breaking it. Yes. yes, exactly. So you're going to be at eleven. I'm going to join you at eleven. This film goes at eleven, uh, and so that means even with that very which is itself. Uh, Rob Reiner, look at this. We're doing it right. <laughs> That's a Rob Reiner call out. It Rob is. Reiner produced the Shawshank Redemption. He also did he direct. He directed. Yeah. He directed Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yep. Which yep. has in it the iconic line, "It goes to 11. and that's that was the whole purpose there. That's how good exactly. I am yes. at this. <laughs> is the <You're> layers? You're <laughs> so good at this. Oh my gosh. Well, um, that means that uh, for the fog meter specifically we give it a seven out of ten shawshank redemption even as a non-horror piece we give it a seven out of ten i guarantee you really it got to seven it got well with us for yeah with us for 11 yeah Yeah, absolutely um so yes seven out of ten and uh i mean the the question that nobody needs to ask ever do you recommend shawshank redemption of course (laughs) unwaveringly I think I think this is required viewing. I think if you haven't seen this film or if you haven't seen it in a while, dust it off and watch it again. It is magnificent. It's a wonderful film and I love it 
so, so much. Um, and, and I would even dare say, just because we stumbled into it accidentally, not the worst uh, holiday viewing, honestly. Like, for the way oh, you will feel. Thematically, it is Christmas. Absolutely. Um, freedom is yeah. present. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so from uh, from both of us to all of you, we wish you a very, very Merry Christmas, very happy holidays. Um, we hope that your time, uh, however you are spending it, is rewarding and joyful. Please, by all means, uh, I, am, I th- can think of no better way to tag off this series, this year. Uh, we will be coming back with an episode next week, but I can think of no better way to tag this off than the tagline of Shawshank Redemption. D- did you write this down? I want to give you an opportunity since I stole your other one. Did I you write this down? I don't know what the tagline is. This is, and it's pithy, but it is so appropriate to the film and to the year. This is the tagline on the movie poster of Shawshank Redemption. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. That's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> keep keep that in mind uh, in this coming season, in this coming moment. Uh, may God bless you. May you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, Nathan. Thank you so Agreed. so very much. Thank you, um, my friend, for all the conversations and for all the things. And and, uh, and no, we don't we don't want to leave everyone completely in the lurch because it is a super duper long movie. But we are covering it chapter two next week as a final little note. Yes, that's um, but true. Yes, that's true. I don't, I don't want to leave everybody without some homework there. Um, that's true. That is a good um, point. Merry Christmas, Reed. Merry Christmas, everybody. We will see you next week. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey. Our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can be found at tpublic.com. Just search The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.